Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. As I was talking about, God said, I call the bird from the east and it comes. He, he, he says one of the things that proves that He is God in the Old Testament is that He has power over nature. He has power over even His creatures. The, the Lord in, in Isaiah said, I, I declare the end from the or the yeah the end from the beginning. He declared all things that would ever come to pass from the end of history, from before time ever began. God is in control. He knows all things, and the the text that we're looking at tonight is when Jesus was arrested. When Jesus was taken taken by the soldiers and by by the officials of the Sanhedrin. But one thing we have to remember is God was in control of that and Jesus speaks of this event not as someone who is dragged off by force. But as we see Jesus' response to them coming, as we see everything that surrounds this, it wasn't the soldiers that were in control of Jesus. Jesus was in control of this situation. Jesus could not be taken by force. As He had said in other Gospels, He said that He could at any time call on a thousand angels and that they could come and rescue Him. But He did not do so. He was doing what He had been sent to do. He had been humbly obeying the will of His Father. And He was accomplishing His mission coming to save us. Let's look at our text beginning in John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with His disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. And when, his, when He and His disciples entered, which He and His disciples entered, I'm sorry. Now Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? 
And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you've given me, of those who you gave me, I have lost no one, not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We are not lost in darkness. You have given us your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, I pray that you would help us to fix our attention on Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would be with the little hands and feet that are in this room. Father, I pray that you would be with those who struggle with fidgets. I pray that you would be with these little ones. Lord, you said, suffer the little, one, little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us, Lord, to, to shepherd them, to guide them, to welcome them. Father, I pray that you would help them to hear what you want them to hear tonight. Lord, as we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we don't just pray that for those of us who are adults. Lord, we know that you are sovereign. Lord, you can open blind eyes. And we ask you to speak to all of us here. Father, I pray that you would give me strength tonight. Give me grace as I preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words. I said we'd begin with verse 1, but verse 1 points back to what Jesus had already said. Ever since... Chapter 14, Jesus had been teaching His disciples. He was teaching them about the fact that He was going away and that He was going to send another Comforter. He said that um, He was the vine and that His disciples must remain in Him. He taught His disciples what they were going to have to do and how He was going to provide for them after He would go away. And then in chapter 17, He prayed. He prayed for himself. He prayed that God, that he, the Son would share again the glory that he had had with the Father before the world was. In the second part, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed that the Lord would preserve them. He prayed that he would keep them and that they would be one. And he also prayed for those who would believe because of his disciples. He prayed for us. He prayed for us, that we would be unified and that 
we would, like those disciples, be kept for him. Now, in the context of all these things, in the context of everything that Jesus taught, in the context of everything that Jesus had prayed, we read these words, when Jesus had spoken these words, this is what he did next. He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. So after he had prayed, after he had uh, said all of those things, those four chapters worth of content. They left the upper room and the Kidron Valley would be the, the, a, a valley that would sometimes fill with water whenever it was rainy. It wasn't always filled with water, but it, it, would, it was a, a wadi. It would sometimes fill. And it was what separated the city from the, from the Mount of Olives. And so they crossed that and they went to a garden. And it doesn't tell us here that it was the Garden of Gethsemane, but we know that's where Jesus went. That's where He was arrested. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. We've read, read in the other Gospels of how Jesus had prayed about, Father, if it be possible, that let this cup pass from Me. And yet, nevertheless, let... Your will be done is the way we know that Jesus prayed as He sweat drops of blood. While Jesus was there in the garden, we come to verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed Him, also knew the place, for Jesus met there often, or met, had often met there with His disciples. Let's linger on that verse just a minute. Jesus would often go there with His disciples. How did Judas know where to find Jesus? It's telling us here. He knew where to find Jesus because Jesus was following His normal pattern. Jesus was going to the very same places where Judas would know that He frequented. If Jesus did not want to be arrested, He could have broken from His patterns. He could have done something different. He didn't have to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have gone someplace else if He wanted to avoid being arrested. But, He did exactly the same things that Judas knew that He would do. The same patterns. So Judas... He knew Jesus would be there at the Garden of the Gethsemane, and so that's why He brought the soldiers there. Verse 3, Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. They were coming after one guy. They were coming just after this teacher. He wasn't a, a rabble-rouser. He was no, no criminal. He wasn't somebody with a violent temper. And yet, they had all this band of soldiers. They had uh, these, these officials from the chief priests and from the Pharisees. All these people that were coming to find Jesus. 
And it wasn't enough that they, they had all these people, but it says they came with torches and lanterns and weapons. They had the lanterns and the torches so that, that you know, if, if, the, if the fugitive Jesus ran away or, or hid somewhere in the bushes, they could shine their light and they could find Him. But they didn't need that on this night. And they brought weapons in case there was a resistance, in case Jesus or His disciples were to put up a fight. But they didn't need those weapons on this night. Verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to Him, came forward and said to them, We keep hearing these details over and over again in this text, pointing to the fact that Jesus was in control even at the moment of His arrest. He went to the place where He knew that Judas would know He would be at. He did it on purpose and not by accident. And here, he knew all that was going to take place. He knew all that would happen. And he came forward and he said to them, Whom do you seek? He answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you may be thinking, what about this kiss that Judas was supposed to have? Judas was supposed to kiss Jesus and and signal who he was. Well, the other Gospels tell us this detail, and John leaves this detail out. That does not make them contradict. It just means John was focusing on something different. Judas, uh, the the other Gospels, in telling us that Jesus signaled to the the, uh, officials who Jesus was by a kiss, that was emphasizing the betrayal of Judas. But here, Jesus is the one who takes initiative. When they come with all of their uh, weapons and their, their torches and lanterns and everything, Jesus steps forward. He's the one in control. He steps forward and says, who is it that you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. There's two ways we could take Jesus saying, I am he. One would just be a self-identification. I'm the guy you're looking for. I am He. But why would, after Jesus just saying, I am He, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for, would, the, would all of the officials and everybody fall back to the ground? I think they, He was claiming something there. When He said, I am He, it's similar to what we read in the other places in the Gospel where Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. Whenever Jesus says, I am the True Vine. Whenever He says, I am the Living Water. When He says that I am the Bread of Life. All of those things where Jesus is saying, I am. It's pointing back to an Old Testament reference where 
You have Moses at the burning bush. And, and Moses is supposed to go to deliver his people out of Egypt. And Moses asked, what, who should I tell them sent me? And the Lord tells Moses to say, tell them I am has sent you. These I am statements in the Gospel of John point to His deity. They point to who He is. That's why so many people wanted to kill Him for saying Him. And that's why these people who came out to arrest Jesus drew back and fell to the ground. Whenever He says, I am He, they all wanted to get out of the way of the lightning. (laughs) They thought He was going to be struck by lightning to be able to claim something like that. And they wanted to get out of the way. So he said to them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. So if you seek Me, let these men go. Who's given the orders here? The, the guards are coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus... Although he's the one who's coming, who's being arrested, he's the one who gives the orders to the, the guards. He says, let these men go, just take me. Guards don't listen to the criminal. <laughs> right, Sally? <laughs> guards don't listen to the criminal. But here, they listen to Jesus. He said, let these men go, I'm the one you want. Again, also pointing to the fact he was in control. He didn't run. He didn't hide. When they came to find Him in the place that He would normally be, He went willingly. And then we read, He did this for a reason. He he, he told them to let the disciples go For a reason, it was to fulfill what he had already prayed in the last chapter. Remember, he he prayed, Of those whom you have given me, I have not lost one. Now, there is a spiritual dimension to this and also a a, a temporal dimension to this. He, He, of course, meant as he was praying, that he would not lose any of his disciples as far as their eternal destination. He would not lose any of them except Judas who had betrayed him. But here, he's also talking about a kind of a physical dimension. When the the officials came to arrest him, none of his disciples would be hurt. They would come and they would strike the shepherd alone. And while the sheep would be scattered, they would be safe. The shepherd was lying down, laying down his life for his sheep. Then, we see in verse 10, Simon Peter. He's always brash. He's always standing. You know, he was the one who confessed first that Jesus was the Christ. And, and he was the one who Jesus told, you know, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But yet, Peter was also the one who Jesus told you, 
You're going to deny me three times before a rooster crows. And Peter says, even if all fall away, I won't deny you. And yet, we're going to see next week that he did. Or I think next week maybe. Depends. Caleb may preach if he's ready. So Peter, this brash guy, he he has a sword and he drew it out and he strikes the high priest's servant and cuts off his ear. Now that's one of those gory details that the kids have got to be going, Ooh! (laughs) Did you hear the detail here? Peter, Simon Peter, takes a sword out of his sheath and cuts off a guy's ear. Yeah! He cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus stops him. He says, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, in the other Gospels, we read how how Jesus, in Luke, it tells us that Jesus touched the man's ear and it was healed. And, And Matthew tells us that Jesus responded to put his sword away because those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And Matthew was, was emphasizing Jesus' ethical teaching about nonviolence. But here, as John is, is, is uh, looking at it from another angle, whenever he tells Peter to put his sword back in his sheath, it's from the perspective, he says, shall I not drink the cup? that the Father has given me. In the other Gospels, we read this very similar language where Jesus prays, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The cup being the cross. That He has to go to the cross and experience the pain and the torment of crucifixion. Of being beat. Of having the, the crown of thorns placed upon his head, about the nails in his hands and in his feet, about the sword that's put in his side, all of these things. And what's the worst of all, the physical torments were nothing compared to the fact that Jesus was going to take on all of the burning hot wrath of God that we deserve. That was the most horrible part of the cup that Jesus was going to drink. And yet Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And here, Jesus points out, he's in control. Peter doesn't have to go get a sword and fight off the enemy. Jesus willingly gives himself up to obey his father, to drink the cup. What is it this cup represents? In the Old Testament, in in Isaiah, a few chapters after the chapter that that Caleb read, in Isaiah 51, it, it talks about the cup of God's wrath. It talks about the cup of God's wrath as the judgment that He is about to pour out on His people. He's talking about the judgment that he's about to pour off, pour out, and he talks about it in terms of how, how the, his people are going to be made to drink his wrath like, like it's wine being poured out of a cup, and they're going to be made to stagger, and they won't know what hit them. It will hurt so bad. 
And yet later, it talks about a time of salvation when the cup would be removed and they would no longer have to drink the cup of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath is the cup of God's judgment, and that's what Jesus was coming to drink. That was the cup that we deserved. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve for His wrath to be poured out upon us because we have all sinned, because we have all broken God's laws. Whether it be lying to our parents, whether it be being disobedient, whether it be murder, whether it be blasphemy, whether it be stealing, whether it be anything that breaks God's laws, we deserve the cup of God's wrath to be poured out on us. And Jesus took our cup. Jesus took the cup of God's wrath that we deserved and He drank it all. He drank it all down to the dregs. Every last little crumb of grape that may have been that gotten through the filters. He drank it all, both the bitter and the sweet. He drank all of the wrath of God for us. He drank our cup. So how do we respond? As we think about this text... we think about these texts, they're, they're not texts that give us some kind of instruction to, to say, go evangelize or, or go read our Bible. No, these are texts that tell us what to think. They, they tell us how to view Jesus. They tell us how to view God. And they, they, they ought to affect our hearts and, and make us want to worship Him all the more. The things that we see in this Jesus was in control of all of what was going on. He was in control. He could have at any time stopped it. And yet, He was right where He always was so they could come and arrest Him. He knew all that was going to happen and He offered Himself up willingly and He told Simon Peter, Put the sword away. I'm doing what I came for. I'm coming to drink the cup of wrath. So as we think about this text, we think of Jesus as the one who is in control. When He says, I am He, He is identifying Himself with the one who in Isaiah 46 said, I'm the one who calls the bird from the east. And He comes. He says, I'm the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's, it's continuing on the same theme that we saw whenever Jesus prayed. Glorify Me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. This text should make us see Jesus in all of His greatness, in all of His glory. He was in control. And also, it should fill us with gratitude and thankfulness 
that what we deserved, the cup of God's wrath that we deserved, Jesus paid it all. Jesus drank the cup down every last drop and we don't have to. It's not as if He drank part and so we then have to drink the rest. He drank it all. He paid it all for us. It's thinking about a text like this that ought to make us sing the words, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.